0: Section 16 of The Marshes of Minus. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. By The Marshes of Minus. By Sir Charles G.D. Roberts. How Vera Obeyed the Black Abbey. Part 1. The Time Was Night. On the 23rd of December, 1754, the place was a spruce forest in Old Acadie, or, as its new masters, the English had rechristened it, Nova Scotia. The encampment was in the deep snow of the Acadian winter. Nowhere else did the straight trunks of the ancient spruce and fir trees shoot up so gigantically as here. In the fitful red illumination of the campfire, they cast goblin shadows upon the band of Micmacs, painted savages, squatting on their haunches about the blaze. Standing very erect, near the fire was the spear figure of La Garnay, the Black Abbey, Bane of the English, terror of the Acadians, shame of the church, but idol of his savage flock, the Micmacs of the Shubenacadie the ruddy light falling upon his face as he gazed into the fire intensified the harsh and bitter lines of the wide thin mouth and indomitable jaw made more grotesque than fate had planned it the long bald tipped nose deepened with abrupt shadows the frown of his high narrow forehead and lit a cruel red spark in the gleam of his close set eyes over his coarse furred leggings and stout coat of Acadian homespun, he wore the black soutane of that priestly office which he dishonored. A few steps back of the half-circled of squatting and grunting savages stood Jean Virideau, leaning against a tree. Both mitten hands clasped over the muzzle of his musket, a short but athletic figure, very broad in the shoulders, with stiff black curls crowding irrepressibly from under the edge of his blue woolen toque. He would have been handsome but for the subtle cloud of anger on his face. He was a man with a grudge. Vengeance upon the English was his one thought, and when vengeance delayed, resentment deepened. There had been, he thought, too much delay in this camp among the fir woods. There was no wind. The flame and smoke went straight up toward that far black hole in the forest roof. "'through which two great stars sparkled icily. "'A few feet from the main fire was a heap of glowing coals, "'raped forth for convenience in the cooking, "'and from the unctuous splutter of the broiling bear's meat "'came a savor of richness somewhat rank. "'Suddenly the dark form by the fire turned "'and strode over to the young Acadian side. "'Viridot looked up, and a flash of expectancy "'lightened the gloom of his square-jawed face.' "'Work for me to do?' he asked eagerly. "'Work for you,' answered the priest, "'shutting his thin lips and pausing to eye the young man "'with an atomizing scrutiny before unfolding his purpose. "'I know, my son,' he went on in a moment or two, "'both your love for friends "'and your righteous hatred for the English. "'We, I and you, and a few, alas too few, "'faithful and resolute like ourselves,' "'are the instruments of vengeance on the enemies of our country. "'You, unlike myself, have a personal grudge against them, I believe.' "'The young lion's eyes flashed, and he opened his mouth to speak. "'But Garnay continued, "'I think they robbed you of your little patrimony. "'I think, too, your father fell by an English sword "'by the banks of the Tatramar. "'But that was years ago, when you were too young to remember.' I remember it as if it had been yesterday. I remember my mother's tears, exclaimed Viridoux fiercely. It was long ago, went on the Black Abbey, and it was in fair fight. But of late, I think, the English have been kind to you. Is it not so? This cannot but ease your bitterness against them in some measure. But none knew better than Nagarnay the freshness of Jean Viridoux's injuries. His new rage, born as if it were yesterday. Curse them, he muttered between his clenched teeth. They have robbed me of my last hope, the stay of my mother's age. My hand is against their name and race, while I have strength to lift it up. Why, my son, what is this new injury? As if you had not suffered enough from the usurper's violence, said La Carnet softly. "'with a sympathetic wonder in his voice. "'Did you not hear of it, father?' exclaimed Irideau, "'husky with the vehemence of his hate. "'They seized my schooner, the Belle Marie, "'with all her cargo of barley, flax, and fish "'bound for Louisbourg. confiscated them, "'sold them in Halifax, "'and there was a fortune for me in that cargo, "'had I got it safe to Louisburg. "'We escaped with but the stuff on our backs,' Louis, Taman, and I. Then we were Louis and Taman, asked the Black Abbey. Oh, cries John with angry scorn, back at Grand Prey, smoking, smoking, talking, talking, and watching the pot on the fire. They are tame. They are not men. But I, I will strike back. You shall strike at once and strike hard, my son," said the Black Abbey. How? When? Tonight, when you have eaten, continued La Garnet, you shall take one of my faithful followers here, and meet enough in your pack for three days' journey, and set out for the napping. You know the little marsh where the Des Rochers sure brook flows in. On the upland bordering the marsh, on the south an English settler has built his cabin. He has cleared fields. He has diked in part of the marsh. He is prospering. Soon other English will come and do likewise, setting a greedy grasp upon the lands of our people. They must be discouraged. Terror must seize the souls of any that would follow them. You must get there tomorrow night, Jean. Not one of them must see the next daybreak. The cabin must be smoke and ashes under the next sun. The lesson must be one to be read far off. If these robbers will not spare our lands for justice, they shall for fear. "'Will we, too, be enough of the fight, father?' asked Viridou. "'There will be no fight,' my son answered Lagarnay coolly. "'There is but one Englishman, and he will be asleep. "'It is simple, and I have work elsewhere for the rest of these.' "'I should like a fair fight,' muttered the young man doubtfully. "'I would see his eyes, I would strike him down, "'and he should know my vengeance. "'I like not stabbing in the dark.' "'So,' It is not only Tamman and Louis, said Lagarnay with a slow sneer, who can talk, talk, and sit by the fire, and fear to strike. It is enough, Jean Virideau. You Acadians are not men. I have my savages. I will send Sokobi and Big Paul. They are men. They. You speak in haste, Father Lagarnay, broke in Virideau hotly. I will not be talked to so. And I will go. I meant to go from the first, if you had no fighting for me to do. I could do you better service in fighting, and your redskins could perhaps do better at stabbing in the dark. But I go. Give me Sakobi. He's got more brains than the rest and talks French. Taking no notice whatever of the young man's anger, the black abbe coolly summoned Sakobi from his place, beside the broiling bear's meat. And proceeded to give orders for the conduct of the enterprise. Half an hour later, Verido and his red companion, slipping their moccasin toes under the moosehide thongs of their snowshoes, turned their backs on the campfire and the smells of the broiled bear's meat and struck off into the moon-bottled shadows and clean balsamy savors of the forest. Sucobe so was a lean, active savage, a head taller than the Acadian but of slimmer build, shrewd, quick-witted, less reticently monosyllabic than his fellows, and at ease in the French tongue. Firdot regarded him as the one Indian fit to hold speech with. There was little speech between them, however, on that night march. There was occupation enough for thought and sense in picking their path through the misleading shadows, when they had marched perhaps three hours and the moon had sunk so low as to be no longer of use to them. They halted, dug a roomy hole in the snow with their snowshoes, built a fire in the center of the cleared space, and bivouacked for the night. Viridil was restless and little in love with his undertaking. Hence it came that he slept ill. He was not one to set his hand to the plow and look back. However ugly might seem to him the furrow he was doomed to turn, but he wanted the business done quickly. Before dawn, he had aroused his indifferent comrade, and with the first flood of rose-pink staining the eastern faces of the fir trees, the two were again under way. The snow was firmly packed, the snowshoeing easy, and Verito's bitter impatience brought them out too soon upon the edge of the marsh of the and water. It was a little after sunset, and the winter night was beginning to close in. The channel of the Nappin, at half tide and choked with muddy ice cakes, groaned in shadow. But the open clearing beside them, with its blackened stumps upthrust through mounds and curling drifts of snow, caught the last of the daylight. Across this dying pallor came a cheery yellow radiance from the windows of the settler's cabin. Set close for shelter under the forest edge at the north side of the clearing. Flanked by its wide eaved log barn and lean to shed, it made a homely picture in the wilderness, and Vildo's scowl deepened. Three, four hours, maybe, said the Indian before they sleep yonder. Why not tackle him now and give him a chance in fair fight, growled the Acadian, fingering his musket impatiently. No fair fight now, retorted Sakobi. Him inside, see us plain, we no see him, all on one side. Viridu could not but acknowledge the force of this, and he knew the nice marksmanship of the English settlers. Bien, a Sokobe, he assented reluctantly. I guess that's so, and there are only the two of us, so we can't throw ourselves away. But I tell you, there's got to be a fair fight. When we get the blaze going, we'll wake him up and let him come out to take his chance. No knifing in the dark for me. The Indian looked faintly surprised at this sentiment, but being a brave man assented willingly enough. As long as the command of the Black Abbey was carried out, he was content that Verito, whom he admired, should be suited in the manner of it. Cautiously. Feared led the way around the skirts of the clearing and into the dense growth of a mixed young and old timber, which almost touched the roofs upon the north. From this post of vantage, they could survey the situation and lay their deadly plans. They commanded a view of the front of the cabin and of a beaten trail running down the gentle slope from the doorway to a narrow opening in the opposite woods. A very bright light shone down the trail from the cabin windows. That must be the trail to Debruha's village, whispered Viridou. the savage grunted assent and then muttered, "I make so great light. It's the eve of Noel, you know, answered the Acadian with some surprise. Christmas Eve, the English call it, and it is a great festival with them, even more than with us. See candles, many candles in window went on the savage, still puzzled, ah. "'Somebody is expected,' replied Viridu, "'at once growing more interested. "'Somebody more to fight. "'A good fight, maybe, after all. "'And, my Sikobi? "'Good fight, no fight. "'All same to me. "'So long as job done and black father satisfied,' "'said the Indian with a large indifference. "'Just then the door opened "'and a woman stood in the doorway, "'peering anxiously down the trail.' framed with light as she was, and her face therefore unshadowed, Her features could in no way be distinguished, but the form was that of a slender girl. At this sight, who growled an impatient curse. His companion understood it. No prisoners, he grunted. No time for prisoners. That's less trouble. And he made a significant gesture at his scalp lock. start started. ''No,'' said he, in a tone of icy conclusiveness. ''None of that, my friend. There will be a prisoner. I will have no murder of women or children.'' The savage looked at him askance. There were unknown quantities in this Acadian, which his less complex brain had not yet estimated. But he was an astute savage, and saw nothing to be profited by argument. It was clear, however, to him that Verido was angry at finding there was a woman to be reckoned with. Presently, he saw Virado smile. How could his wrath vanish so rapidly? Sokovi could not grasp the quick workings of his companion's mind. It had occurred to Verido that to save the woman's life would, in some degree, compensate for the treachery of the business to which Lacharnay and his own vindictiveness had committed him. Well. He was revolving this thought, and deriving much satisfaction therefrom. He was fairly startled by a sound from across the clearing, a piercing and piteous scream, a child's scream of mortal terror and despair, thrilled through the evening quietude. Jean Verdeau instinctively sprang forward, clutching his musket. End of Section Sixteen